I'm honored and blessed to be able to preach this morning. Uh, it's such a privilege. Uh, Johnny and Al and I were trying to think through what, what psalms are we going to preach uh, this summer. And Johnny was going back and forth through a whole bunch, and I just kept saying, no, you've got to preach Psalm 51, you've got to preach Psalm 51. And he texted Al, and it's like, Devin's been trying for an hour to convince me to preach Psalm 51. And I was like, well, then have Devin preach it. So that's why I'm here today. Uh, I've been blessed to be an intern here this summer. Uh, I've been honored uh, just getting to be mentored by Johnny and Al, uh, but also just getting to serve here, and uh, it's been a huge blessing. As we're going through this series in the Psalms, um, we've been talking about how their prayers, how they show us how we can relate to God from any place in our walk with the Lord. Uh, so last week we talked about joy and just the great joy that, that fills us, that the Lord gives us. Um, but today we're going to be talking about sin. So it's a little bit of a different topic, a little different tone. Um, but what we're going to be talking about today is, is what does it mean for the Christian who sins, for the Christian who fails, for the Christian who messes up. Um, so we're going to read this Psalm 51, this prayer of David after he sinned, uh, and see what his repentance looks like, what his uh, prayer of confession looks like, and see what we can learn from it, uh, and how we can relate to God when we are in sin. So I'm going to be reading from Psalm 51 if you want to follow along. It says, For the choir director, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after he had gone to Bathsheba. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love. According to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Verse 6 says, Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. Verse 10, God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice, or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. In your good pleasure, cause Zion to prosper. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings, then bulls will be offered on your altar. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for how real your word is, uh, for the fact that you have given us your word to show us how we can relate to you, Lord, to see what's the proper response to our sin. So Lord, I pray that today you would speak through me, uh, that it would not be me speaking some wisdom that my 20-year-old self knows, but that you would be 
the God of all eternity speaking through me, Lord. I pray that we would learn, that we would be convicted, and that we would see you in a new light because of what your word says, Lord. So thank you for all that you do, for all of your wisdom. In your name we pray. Amen. So as we look at this psalm of repentance, um, we're going to see that true repentance means confessing sin, asking for forgiveness and restoration, and worshiping the Lord with a humble heart. Uh, so as we, as we dive into this passage, we see David's talking about the sin, he's confessing sin, but we ask what, what's the sin that he's confessing? What, it, what is he talking about? Uh, and that's where we see the inscription where it says, a psalm of David when the prophet Nathan came to him after he had gone to Bathsheba. So that reminds us of 2 Samuel chapter 11, uh, which comes after David has become king of Israel, after Saul has died in the beginning of the book of 2 Samuel. We see David has been victorious over and over again uh, in his battles and in his conquests. We see that in chapter 7, the Lord has made a covenant with David, saying that one of his descendants will live in his uh, kingdom will last forever and ever, and we see this fulfilled in Jesus later on, so God has made a special covenant with David. We then see him being more successful in battle and having a really great uh, ministry, and life is going really well for David. Uh, then we reach chapter 11, and it tells of a time when David didn't go out to fight with his army, how he didn't do what he was supposed to do, and we read that in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 11. It says, in the spring when kings march out to war, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel. And they destroyed the Amorites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Verse 2 says, One evening David got up from his bed and strolled around to the roof of the palace. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. And that's where the passage should have ended. But it didn't end there. Uh, and David lusted after her and committed adultery in his heart. Uh, then he summoned her and committed adultery with her. He then... Uh, summoned her husband and is like, hey, go spend time with your wife, trying to cover up his sin instead of seeking restoration. Um, and so he summons his, her husband, Uriah, in from the battlefield. He was one of David's 30 mighty men, one of the best warriors that he had. He summoned him, but he wanted to go spend time with his wife, but just stayed in the, in the palace. And so David sends this letter back with them saying, hey, go ahead and have Uriah on the front lines and have him murdered, have him killed. Uh, so David commits adultery, and he lies, and he commits murder. And if we weren't sure that that was okay if you're the Lord's anointed or if you're the king of Israel, he says, uh, in verse 27, he says, the Lord considered what David had been done to be evil. He had sinned. He had done wrong. And it's easy for us to sit here and look at David and say, yeah, of course what you did was wrong. You know, you murdered someone, and you committed adultery. Like, those are like the two sins that we talk about and say, oh, those are bad. But we have to look at our own hearts. And we see in Matthew 5 that it says, whoever looks at a woman to lust at her has committed adultery in his heart, and whoever hates his brother has committed murder against him. And then even further, James 2.10 says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. We are just as guilty as David when David committed this sin. What's interesting to note about David is that he was a man after God's own heart, is what the Bible says. The Lord had made a covenant with him. He was the king of Israel. He was the Lord's anointed. He was the leader of God's people. And yet, we see his gross sin. We see him failing. We see misery. 
And this reminds us that as Christians, we sin and we mess up. Now, Romans 6 talks about how we shouldn't just go on saying, oh, we're Christians, let's just sin all we want. It's, there's not a, you know, it's easier to ask forgiveness than permission mentality. That's not what we do as Christians. But we follow what the Lord says and we try to live right, but we sin and we fail and we mess up. And so this passage is going to show us what happens when, when we sin. So in, ver- in chapter 12, if you flip the page, Nathan the prophet comes to David and he says, hey, this is what you've done. He uses a parable, shows him kind of a backwards route and saying, hey, you have sinned. Uh, and David's response to that is saying, I have sinned against the Lord. He confesses his sin and he confesses his wrongdoing. So we're going to look at what it looks like to confess our wrongdoing, to acknowledge the Lord, to ask for forgiveness and restoration. So true repentance means confessing our sin, asking for forgiveness and restoration, and worshiping the Lord with a humble heart. So let's first look at David's confession. He confesses in 2 Samuel, but he confesses in more detail in Psalm 51, which he prays right after 2 Samuel chapter 12. So after he sinned, after Nathan the prophet has gone to him, convicted him after he said, I have sinned against the Lord, he prays Psalm 51. So let's read verses three through five again together. It says, for I'm conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. You are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. David confesses his sin because he recognizes God's holiness. He sees God's goodness, and we see that in verse 1 where he talks about his faithful love and his abundant compassion and how he's merciful and gracious. David sees his sin and the weight of it and how wrong he was down here, and he sees God's goodness set aside from it. David knew that his sin was separating him from God because God is perfect and God is holy and God is righteous. Confession is our humbling ourselves before the Lord acknowledging our sin and our inability to live rightly. And this is not just something that we need to do when we first believe in Jesus, although we do need to confess our sins and say, Lord, I accept you into my heart, I'm a sinner. But this is something as Christians we need to do day in and day out, if not more often, saying, Lord, I confess my sins, I am wrong. So let's look in more detail at these verses. In verse three, we see that says, for I'm conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. This is him saying, I know what I've done wrong. I know I've sinned. I know that my actions are evil. And then verse four, he says, against you alone have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Although he'd sinned against Bathsheba and he'd sinned against Uriah and he'd sinned against other people, he wasn't making excuses for that, but he was saying, God, I've sinned against you. It's against you that I've sinned because you are so much holier than I am. He'd sinned against the God of the universe who graciously made a covenant with him, promising to establish his kingdom forever. David also acknowledges God's righteousness at the end of verse four when he says, so you are right to pass sentence. David doesn't try to argue against the consequences of his sins. He doesn't make excuses, but yet he accepts them. See, his truly repentant heart doesn't seek to blame Bathsheba or blame Uriah or blame any of the certain servants who he could have easily made as a scapegoat with his power as the king of Israel, that he accepted his wrongdoing. The most influential, important person in the kingdom of Israel 
is accepting the fact that he is wrong, that he has sinned, that he's done evil. He's not trying to pass it off and blame someone else. <laughs> this morning, this wasn't supposed to be a sermon illustration, but this morning I was backing out of my driveway and I backed into my sister's car. So her car sits behind my car. And so I was just, you know, really early on the way to church, going to get there and just backed up into the side of her car. And my first thought was, oh no, I'm in trouble. And then my second thought was, why is her car there? Shame on her for putting her car there. And then my thought was, well, if only the back window hadn't been so fogged or if only it was over a little bit further or if only I had pulled forward. And then I started, in my head, I started coming up with excuses for why that wasn't my fault and that was someone else's fault or the car's fault. And then I had to realize, wait, I messed up. That's my fault. So my, my sister is very gracious in forgiving me for running into her car and there's not that much damage. There's a mark, but it's not that bad. Uh, but the point of that is, is God brought this passage back to my mind where David's not making excuses for his wrongdoing, but he's saying, I am sinned, I have wronged. And backing into my sister's car, that wasn't sin per se, but it, it, I did mess up. I wasn't doing what you know, was the most diligent thing to do in backing my car up. Um, but this just goes to show the importance of taking responsibility for actions. We see the first sin in the Bible. We see Adam and Eve and how They've sinned, and God goes to Adam, and he says, hey, how, you know, what, what happened? And he's like, oh, she made me do it. So God goes over to Eve and is like, hey, what happened? And she blames the serpent. So they weren't willing to take responsibility for their actions and for their sin. But David was, and David understood the importance of confessing his sin was not coming up with excuses, not blaming someone else, but taking full responsibility for it, humbly accepting the punishment. David further understands the depths of his sin as we look in verse 5. He said, Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. He understands his sinful nature. He's not just confessing one or two you know, random sins that might have tarnished his record. But David is confessing his depravity, that his heart is prone to wander. It's prone to do evil. He says that he was sinful when his mother conceived him, this is saying that he's always been sinful. So my question for you all is, what sin in your life do you need to confess to the Lord? What sin is separating you from your relationship with God? What's hindering that? Verse six, it says, surely you desire integrity in the inner self. You teach me wisdom deep within. So what wrongdoing, what pride what lack of integrity is verse 6 points to? What sin is separating from you from God that you need to humbly confess? You don't, are you okay with God being righteous to judge you or do you try to make excuses for it? Because Isaiah 64 says that even our righteousness is like polluted garments or like filthy rags compared to the glory of God. So we have to acknowledge What's true of us is that we are guilty and we are sinful and that we have wronged the God of the universe. So does your sin and your wickedness bother you or is it just something that you're okay living with? Do you realize that you need to confess your sin to the Lord? Because David did and David confessed his sin to the Lord. But then after he confessed his sin to the Lord, he spends most of his time in this prayer 
pleading with the Lord. He's begging the Lord, and he begs for two things, and that's forgiveness and restoration. Uh, So he kind of interchanges them throughout, asking for forgiveness and then asking to be restored and then asking to be forgiven and then asking to be restored. So we're going to look first at his prayers for forgiveness. When we talk about forgiveness, we understand that when we first believe in Christ, when we confess our sins, we ask that he forgives us, that he cleanses us. But this isn't something we just need to do once and say, Lord, forgive me. We need to do that every day. Every time we sin, we confess and we ask for forgiveness. David asked for forgiveness in several verses. In verse 2, in verse 7, verse 9, verse 11. Every other verse, David is asking the Lord to forgive him. Words he uses are purify me, wash me, cleanse me. He says, wash me again. He says, turn your face away from my sins and blot out my guilt. He says, don't banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed. He's begging the Lord saying, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. The amazing thing here is that David acknowledges that the Lord has the power to forgive him. He has the ability to forgive him. And we see this confirmed in 1 John 1, 9, which says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our cleanse, or forg- to cleanse it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will forgive us and he will cleanse us if we just ask, if we confess our sins and say, Lord, forgive me. Note the desperation that David is praying. He doesn't just say, God, I was wrong, forgive me. He doesn't just say, hey, I need forgiveness. He says, purify me, cleanse me, turn your face away from me, blot out my guilt, save me from guilt. He's desperate. It's as if he realized that he had nothing apart from God. Last week we talked about Psalm 16, where it talks about the joy and the delight that we find in the Lord. And David realizes that he doesn't have that unless his relationship is restored and his fellowship is restored to the Father. And he needs the Lord to forgive him. And so he's crying out desperately saying, God, forgive me. I know I'm wrong. I need you to forgive me. So he doesn't just plead for forgiveness, but he also pleads for restoration. We're going to spend some more time here as David's begging to be redeemed, begging to be restored. So we see this in verses 8, 10, and 12, which I'd like to read. Verse 8, it says, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Verse 10 says, God create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Then verse 12, he says, Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. In these verses, David is asking for his fellowship to be restored to, to the Lord. He's asking for joy. He's asking for his delights to be restored to the Lord. He's asking for a new heart. So let's look at each of these verses and tells us what we need to be praying for when we ask the Lord to restore us. In verse 8, he's asking for his joy to be restored. And he says, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. And this immediately reminded me of Psalm 16 with Johnny preached last week. The main summary of Psalm 16 was in verse 9, which says, therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices and my body rests securely. Saying, God has given me joy and I have peace and rest in him. But in verse 8 in Psalm 51, we see the opposite. He's saying, let me hear of joy and let me hear of gladness and let the bones you have crushed rejoice. In Psalm 16, he's praying, Lord, I have joy in you. 
In Psalm 51, he's saying, Lord, give me the joy that I know that I can have in you. Psalm 51, he's saying, let the bones you have crushed rejoice. And in Psalm 16, he's saying, my body rests secure in who you are. David is begging for the Lord to restore to him joy, to give him a good understanding of who he is once again, to bring delight to him. We look in verse 10, and it says, God create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Here David is asking the Lord for the power to fight against sin. He's asking for a clean heart and for a steadfast spirit. David was asking the Lord for right desires because he knows that he is filthy and that he needs to be cleansed. And he's asking the Lord to give him a heart that is new and not easily swayed by sin. This should be our daily prayers. We fight against temptation. We fight against sin. Does God create a clean heart for me? We're just saying, give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. That's what this is coming from. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. James 1, 14 through 15 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. The desires, when it has been conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. James is telling us that our desires cause us to be tempted. And then when we give in to temptation, we sin. David isn't just saying, hey, don't let me give in to temptation. He's saying, give me a clean heart. Purify my desires. Help my desires to be seeking you, seeking your joy, not seeking sinful things like he was in 2 Samuel 11. If anything needs to be our daily prayer, it needs to be verse 10. Verse 12 serves as a great summary of verses 8 and verses 10 when it says, Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. He's asking for this joy and asking for a spirit that does what is right. I just want to praise the Lord for the fact that he is in the business of giving people restoration, of bringing people back to himself. The fact that David can pray this and can have confidence in the fact that the Lord will restore him because of his humble heart. The Lord wants to restore us. He wants to give us joy. He wants us to experience himself. He wants to give us the right spirit, but we need to ask for it. And then in verse 13, right following verse 12, it says, then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. David knows that the joy that he will experience in salvation that he's asking to be restored to him in verse 12 is something that he can't keep to himself. He must tell others about it. He must share it. David is praying that when he's restored, he'll be a vessel of restoration to others so that others will see the goodness of the Lord. Just like Nathan went to David and said, hey man, you messed up and you sinned. You need to get right with the Lord. David wants to, after he's been restored, to be able to have that mindset of helping others out. We need to have the same humble, kingdom-centered mindset of David. Our prayer needs to be forgive me, restore me, and allow me to help restore others. Use me to impact others for your glory, Lord. So we've talked about David's confession of his sin. We've talked about how he's asked and begged the Lord for forgiveness and for restoration. And then the last is that we see that he worships the Lord and that repentance results in worshiping the Lord. So we read in verses 14 through 17, if you want to read along, it says, Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips. My mouth will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice, or I would give it. You're not pleased with a burnt offering. 
The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart. David's proper response to seeing the Lord take away his guilt, to take away his sin, to forgive him and to restore him is to sing of his righteousness, to worship him, to praise him. We sang earlier, Lord, your praise will ever be on my lips. And that's what he's saying in verse 15. He said, Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. He's wanting to sing of the Lord who's restoring him, the Lord who's providing for them, the Lord who's his delight and his joy, the righteous one, the holy one. The one who says in verse one has faithful love and abundant compassion and grace. Our sin and being restored to the Lord should point us to worship God because we see how amazing what he's done for us is. But the Lord isn't just simply concerned about religion because in verse 16 and 17, he says, you do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You're not pleased with a burnt offering. But the sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart. The most crucial factor in worship is a humble heart. It's not getting up here and, and singing. It's not just having the, it in the right key and being able to, to sing the right notes. You know, I'm so thankful for Jay and leading us in worship, and it's been awesome. But we can sing songs all day long and it not be worship unless our heart's there. And our heart's saying, God, I humbly say I need you. And I want to praise you for who you are. Because in verse 17, it says, The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart. Verse 17 reminds us of David's plea in verses 10 and 12 for a clean heart, for a new spirit, for joy. He's saying, You will not despise a broken and humbled heart. And in verse 10, he's saying, Give me a clean heart. I need you. So as we look at David's confession, as we look at his forgiveness, his plea for restoration, as we look at his heart of worship, we have to look at our own hearts. So we see true repentance means confessing our sin, asking for forgiveness and restoration, and worshiping the Lord with a humble heart. Our request should be for a clean heart, for a new spirit, for forgiveness, and for joy. So, what sin in your life do you need to confess? What wrongdoing do you need to ask for forgiveness of? What's hindering your relationship with God and with others? Do you need to ask God to restore you? Are your desires pure? Are you taking your greatest joy in Christ like we talked about last week? Maybe your prayer needs to be verse 10, God create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Maybe it needs to be verse 2, saying, Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin, for I'm conscious of my rebellion. But we've all sinned and we've all messed up. And the proper response to our sin is to confess our sin and to ask for forgiveness and restoration. This is a psalm that I constantly go back to in times of sin, in times of failure, reminding me of what my proper response to my sin should be. Maybe you're not a Christian and you hear, all this talk about forgiveness and restoration, you know, you might see your sin, see your brokenness, see how you've done wrong, but that you need to be restored and ask for forgiveness. And the great news is that the Lord has made a way for us to receive forgiveness and restoration, and that's through Jesus. 
who came to earth being God's son to teach good things and to say good things, but most importantly, to live a perfect life and to die on our behalf. He took the punishment of sin because the Bible says that the payment of our sin is death and separation from God. And Jesus took that from us. He took our sin. He took our punishment and he died for us. But not only that, he rose again. So we don't worship and praise and talk about some dead guy it's been dead for 2,000 years, but we serve and worship a guy who's God, who we can have a relationship with, who wants a relationship with us. So if you don't know what that's like, if you don't know how to have a relationship, I ask that you talk to me or Johnny or someone else here after the service and just be like, I, I thought I had this right, but I don't have a relationship with the Lord and I need forgiveness and restoration. But for those who are Christians, what do you need to confess? What restoration do you need?